0: Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus,
1: Brendan and Mark. Welcome, Brendan here, episode 176, Vet Gurus, vetgurus.com, February the 12th. 2021.
0: Brenda, did you say 176? Does that mean it's only 24 weeks till 200?
1: I was waiting for you to say that, yes. Which means, you know what it means, we have to get together a prize package. <laughs> of course. A prize
0: package. And we better start I- now because you know how good I am at getting those off on
1: time. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I think there's still I think the one 100th episode winner still waiting and, and let alone the 50th. Yes. Um yeah, we need to get something together. I thought of something the other day. I think it was when I was in bed and I just cannot remember what it was. Um, but it was it'll come back a, to you. Yes. It will. It will. So, yes. So, episode 200 for those of you who are looking forward to that, we will have a a prize and basically it's the usual entry criteria isn't it mark you send an email to us that's it and you're entered you've got an entry and you've got a high chance of winning because you know we might get zero entries or we might get 500 or we might get anything in between and you've got a pretty high chance of winning i reckon compared with most most um, competitions and it's always something unique that's for sure it's priceless the prize absolutely priceless. And speaking of priceless, Mark, we need to. You need to chat about um, a very exciting um, re-sign in we've had recently. Well, it's sort Do you of want to chat about that.
0: It does fit with the longevity of our podcast, Brendan. That yes. um, that our you know each year we go cap in hand. Um, we pull out all the statistics, all the marketing guff. And we approach our uh, very—they're—they're critical. They're hard. They're you know hard taskmasters. Our sponsors. It has to be a strict, uh, beneficial advert. No, I'm completely making up. They're very generous, and they support us no end, despite our um, you know relatively. Um, small market, um, the the sponsors. And I know you contacted them recently and they reaffirmed their financial support. And we just want to shout out to our three major sponsors, Chemical Essentials, the distributors of F10 in Australia, um, the small animal nutrition people who distribute, gen, who distributes Oxbow products in Australia. And, of course, our... Uh, um, the head of our whole research department, Doug Black, who um, uh, uh, with Microchips Australia also supports our podcast. And and all three of them, all three of those uh, agencies, uh, c- commercial enterprises, produce a huge range of uh, goods and services that are um, useful to unusual and avian veterinarians in Australia. And so um, it's with considerable pleasure that uh, I know they do a lot of support in other areas, both in conferences and our special interest group, but their specific support to us, we shout out and thank them for it. Uh, But it makes it easy when their products are so good for those people who listen to us, Brendan.
1: Yes, and we will only accept sponsors, of the highest calibre, isn't that correct, Mark? So, yeah, we thank them very much, and they do help keep the podcast going because there are ongoing costs of those of you who have listened since episode one. No, we keep reiterating that. Um, so the, the fees for the for the software and for the hosting, et cetera, of the website. So we very, very much appreciate them, and we'll mention a few of their products uh, um, every every few episodes. And, yeah, we... We thoroughly recommend their products, and we thank them very much for sponsoring us, as we do thank our other sponsors, and that's our our sponsors or our patrons, Mark from patreon.com, and we haven't spoken about Patreon for a while, and that's go to our website, vetgurus.com, and you can click on the link, support us or or throw us a bone and and go to Patreon, and you might want to give us a dollar. Or ten dollars or more. Um it might be every month or it might be a once off donation. That would be fantastic. And we hey, have a few reg I'm, a
0: few regulars there, Mark. We do, we, we do. I've been meaning to talk to you about that too, Brendan. The our um our Patreon site does really well for us, but I've noticed in my own life, um, I've increasingly turned to Patreon to um, you know, directly reward um, particularly journalists, but also um, some podcasts I listen to and um, some artists, so that um, you know. Uh, uh, so I've got quite a little coterie of um, of Patreon uh, people that I that I support. Have, have, do you have any? Do you support any?
1: Well, it looks like I've got you because you <laughs> you, you are self supporting our podcast. But look at it, you're the one who comes up as anonymous all the time. I <laughs> suspect. <laughs> um, Um, Any that I support? Well, just odd one-off ones, Mark, every now and again. But obviously, by the sound of it, nothing is (laughs) as as formal as what you you support. But, yeah, I do occasionally um, throw a bone or two to somebody at um, at, um, Patreon for other... Ventures, And I think it's a nice and easy and good way to support people. Yeah, so that's good. So there we go. That's our little sponsorship plug there, Mark, or thank for our sponsors. And um, we we'll are always welcome new sponsors. And we always welcome emails, um, vetgurus at gmail.com, Mark. Um, I'm about to cough at the moment. Um, so you can tell me um, how your day has been while I turn my microphone off for one second. <laughs>
0: Well, my day has not been nearly as exciting as yours. I've been um, slogging away just trying to get some... I've got a couple of complex medical cases, and so I've been just trying to make sure the records are an accurate representation of the cases and and set those colleagues that work with me up much better than I usually do with uh, some good information. So it's been boring, Brendan, but you're you've got some exciting news.
1: Well... Yeah, it's exciting. One's exciting in the wrong way and one's exciting in the disappointing way. The disappointing one is that I'm not happy, Mark. The I'm I'm in fact I'm almost angry. And you know I used to be angry for the first fifty podcasts or so. And that's the Bells Beach Surfing competition has been cancelled. Oh, Did you hear about that? No. This? The Rip Curl Pro Surf Competition, which is held in Bells Beach here in Victoria, Australia, has been cancelled this year because of the COVID concerns. They were hoping to get it to occur. It occurs over the Easter weekend here in in Victoria. And every year from 1961, I think, was the first um, surfing event they had. And it's the longest, oldest surfing competition in the world, Mark. In the world, Um, started in 1961 and um, they've cancelled it Um, there is a chance that they might hold it later in the year but some other place called Newcastle region in Australia has stolen it
0: awesome news
1: Merryweather Beach, Mark, um, has stolen it. Um, they they're hosting the fourth leg of the Championship Tour, the World Surfing Tour, over the Easter Long Weekend. Um, but the thought is that they will still hold the Bells Beast one. This is a late article I just picked up. Then, um, so there may be some, there may be some, a silver lining in it. But um, yeah, I was pretty sad. You know, it's basically well. In one of the articles I was reading about it was that it's a, you know it's the Wimbledon of um, a yeah, an- surfing competition or it's the Super Bowl for those in America you know it's like or it's not having the you know the, the what the PGA or whatever at Augusta anymore it's um yeah so it's um it's uh, I was shocked mark I was shocked you wouldn't
0: me both I'm I'm
1: genuinely shocked Yes, so there you go. Because um, it's a it's a pretty unassuming little beach, isn't it? Actually, Wait, beach,
0: well, I'm when, just when I'm listening. just trying to orient myself here right now. It's um, it's uh, just past Torquay. Yeah, just yeah. past Torquay. What are the, what are there's
1: Winky Pop and Southside and. Yeah, my advice would be go to Winky Pop um, if you if you want instead of Bell's Beach. Supposedly, all the grommets think it's a bit of a better better place to surf, and chances are you'll get kicked off Bell's Beach anyway by the you know there's a hierarchy with surfing. You know, there's a and, hierarchy and uh, and Jarricite
0: is just a little bit further around.
1: Yeah, mm. and I'm trying to think the yeah, other yeah there's a there's a whole lot of good little surf beaches there. Not that. You'd see me there these days, um, yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's article number one, Mark, well, Bell's Beach. Well, I'll be very
0: keen after Easter because Merriweather's barely a stone's throw from from where I live.
1: I'll, um, well, I'll you better give you a report. There, take some photos, yeah. You can walk down there almost, yeah. So there you go. The second one is now I know why they give these places the name gastro pubs. You know? <laughs>
0: Tell me your story about the combination. My story
1: of- is I had it, one of my days off last week. I thought, I'll take my lovely wife out and we'll go and have a bit of a brunch. And we went, well, actually it wasn't a pub, but that's what it ended up being. It was a little cafe that we frequent and I like the look of one of their their particular types of burgers. I better not say what it is <laughs> <laughs> in case people realise where the place was, Um which was marinated for twenty four hours or so, and that was probably the first alarm bell, I suppose. But anyway, it was very nice um, until about seven hours later, and I and I developed a um, very acute gastroenteritis, and uh, I was basically in bed all day um, on a Friday, and most of the Saturday and the Sunday, I was still the walking dead um, before I. Um, Crawled my way back to work on um, the following Monday, so I had a day or two off work, and um, I was crook, Mark. Oh. I had the man; it was more than the man flu. I had the, you know, the sweats and the and the runs and the and the gastric reflux. I had to get get some. Um, um, medication for that because it was so bad and that and the um cramps and the and the yeah the breaking out in the sweats every now and again it was and i literally spent almost 24 hours in bed it was bad it wasn't good at all um and he was panicking and thinking yeah i've got covid <laughs> <laughs> and i said no look at the look up gastro on google and um and you'll see i've got exactly what's happened and it's a perfect and and um so anyway but i'm back i'm back in the land of the living but yeah my last i'm still a bit tired because i think for 20 over 24 hours all i ate was one piece of sliced bread with a bit of margarine on it oh my goodness <laughs> So um, the nutrition wasn't coming in; it was certainly going out, Mark. But it, was, it wasn't coming in. So and I know, it, has,
0: it, I know you're. You're when it comes to you know you're not sick very often, Brendan. So no, to knock you for sick no. like this, that's uh, that's been a particularly virulent, virulent E. coli that you have picked up there.
1: Yes, yes. Now I'm hopefully immune for that particular um, mutant strain. <laughs> So there you go. That's my news. Not that it's something people wanted to hear if they're eating their takeaway at the moment. (laughs) So there you go. Let's jump into our news stories, Mark. Um, I think, well, you should jump into your first one and then I'll jump into my one. And they're both very fishy, aren't they? They
0: are very fishy, and I won't be jumping into mine because it involves piranha, and obviously don't want to be in the water with those guys. Um, researchers in a California biomechanics lab recently staged a um, cage match, um, and. I know you want to comment on the ethics of this, these biomechanics researchers. Um, so in one corner, they had in their aquarium um, the red-bellied piranha, the razor-toothed terror of the Amazon River. And in the other corner was um, uh, was a little catfish, the three-striped Corridoris. Um They're relatively small, about an inch long. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh Uh, species in the Corydorus genus. Um, I have a bit of an affection for them, Brandon. They're one of the um, the types of freshwater fish that I have, tropical freshwater fish that I've bred. So I feel very familiar with them. And this story speaks to their toughness because, um, in typical fashion, the uh, piranha lined the little fish up and um, tried to chomp it up into little bits to finish it off. In fact, the people uh, framing the fight um, noticed that um, the piranhas chomped, oh ten 10 times. Uh, and, um, and, and quite to their surprise, the little catfish wriggled free and drifted off unfazed, um, not even startled, Misty Pegg Tran, um, the associate professor professor of biological science at California State University Fullerton, choir quoted
1: Professor with, Misty.
0: Let's call. Yep, there was a chuckle of admiration. Um, yeah, so um, uh, these are. Uh, um, a little Corydoras catfish, uh, armoured catfish. They have specialised scales, um, uh, thickened with um, extra collagen and um, uh, some minerals um, that make them very, very... Difficult to eat. It's almost like they've got a little bit of a layer of body armor on, a bit uh, Iron Man in catfish shape. Um, there are predators that do consume them. The giant otters and pink river dolphins are known to consume them. Um, but um, but yeah, they um, uh, the piranhas who need to not swallow them whole, and even some of the fish that or predators that can swallow them whole um get into trouble because um they can um you know flare out their uh their scales and their gills and um and they can you know uh, cause some serious internal injuries as they're swallowed if they are swallowed whole so but the piranha who have to break them up into little bits um just don't stand a chance so um so that's it makes them a very tough um if somewhat small and cute um little uh um little fish from the amazon um so what did you think about the um
1: I- yeah the interesting thing I found was and you, i've probably jumped ahead of what you were about to say is um then, then talking about the applications for this, and that people have three D printed polymers and glass and ceramics, and even reinforced carbon fiber sort of scales or scutes that um, to mimic this, um, and using them as as um, armor, Mark. Um, so the apl- applications of these. Um, so the biomimesis. Um, which is um, mimicking nature, Mark, as you know. Um, yeah, so I thought that was quite interesting that um, you know using, um, looking at these uh, amazing, complicated-looking sheets of of armor um, that are used in nature and, and working out or using them. Um, in other applications, Mark, yeah. Well, so it was the, the, the thing, I mean, that, and, and apart from the obvious thing that I didn't like or, or I immediately thought of as, you know, was this an experiment in a, or, or were they observing this happening in the, in, in nature? And obviously that was, um, they were looking at in a freshwater cage, a cage match, wasn't it? A cage um, match. <laughs> as, as they reported it as. So I suppose that's a concern, um, that I would have. Um, yeah. Um, so, what do you think of it, Mark? I've sort of—I haven't answered the question because I jumped in front of your question. Look, I think I—I
0: um, I can understand why a biomechanics lab would be interested in biomimesis, particularly of animals like this. You know, to to provide armor, particularly an American research group, um, and. And I can sort of also understand the need to uh, have some sort of, like I think you're the king of um, of clickbait and I can understand why a research lab needs to do something to get their research out there. Um, yeah, I, I, oh, this dance is very close to a very fine line that I'm I would be happy not to tread over if it was me. But there you go. Different people and different um, positions in the world have to deal with different um, pressures, I suppose.
1: Yes, that's a very diplomatic answer there, Mark. (laughs) Very diplomatic. Well, I'm going to jump into my news story. Unusually diplomatic. Yes, mine's a story. Pretty another story close to home, <laughs> and that's about um, my alma mater, University of Melbourne, and um, eels, Mark. Eels, oh, I thought
0: I—I <laughs> th- read the long, brown, slippery thing, and I wondered where you were going
1: with that. Excuse me. Um, in the winter of 2018, um, University of Melbourne students on assignment. So the University of Melbourne is located in the in just on the edge of the central business district area. So in the city, in here in Melbourne, um, and it's um, and they discovered they looked outside their their um, building. they probably bored you in a prac class, I'd say, Mark, and they saw something stirring in the reeds in in the pond outside. And uh, they realized that it was eels there, Mark. And um, because um, um, they sent a message to the architect, uh, landscape architect who was there, um, saying, What do you think this is? with a photo, because a German student. Um, a bit like Australian students overseas, they just are silly enough to try and grab anything that looks a bit different. Um, plunged her arm into the water and briefly caught a, caught hold of the mystery creature and took a photo of it. And um, they determined that it was immediately an eel and the the a short finned eel, which is common in Victoria's fresh and salt water. But they could not work out how this eel or as I realised, more eels in that region um, had managed to make their way to the university into to that particular pond in the middle of the university, um, the, um, one of the oldest universities in Australia. And they have did a bit of digging, didn't they? And they he did a bit of a, so, um, just a bit of a pun there, uh, and they it, they worked out, Mr Gillingham um, worked, turned to the old topographical maps and had a chat to the um, Aboriginal elders, and they learned that the original freshwater streams and billabongs that used to be used by migrating eels existed at what used that where the university is now located, and the old streams flowed towards the Yarra River, which is the main river which goes through um, Melbourne, and the streams were moved underground long ago and contained in stormwater drains, but the water still flows, Mark. So there's still this underground passages of of where these eels may may do their eely things and you know the amazing thing which still nobody has worked out have they mark is how eels do their thing and make more eels and where they do it um so and as far as i know they still haven't worked out exactly where in the world so the thought is that it's somewhere in the main seas isn't it mark where seals uh, eels get together and um managed to produce further eels. Um, yeah, so, and I think it's somewhere in the Coral Sea, according to this report, between Australia and the island chains like Vanuatu is where the hatching location is. But nobody can can really work out the whole life cycle of eels anywhere in the world where it all happens. So, But the good news story about this one, Mark, is that the architect is collaborating with the Aboriginal elders to tell a bit of a story about the eels and, the, um, and how they previously existed in those ponds and billabongs, and they're developing a new multi-million dollar student precinct, which was being developed anyway, but they're going to include an eel pond Excellent. as part of that. Um, and have little descriptions there talking about um, um, how the eel migration occur, occurs, and and um, little anecdotes and news about the e- eels. Um, it also talks about how um, they chatted to one of the Aboriginal elders about how they um, how they know there's these secret locations, which they won't give away, where um, there's an. That where they have the eel traps, where the Aboriginals yes. know where all the eels are and they can um, you know, get a good feed of eel whenever they want to because they know where they can easily catch lots of eels. And Uncle Dave, one of the elders, um, talks about that he loves preparing them in his favourite way, fried in flour and butter, Mark. And they also smoke them by hanging them in the hollow of a tree and burning leaves at their base, base of the tree. So... Yeah so um I thought that was quite an interesting story there you know trying, tracking down a bit of some, uh, detective work there to try and work out how the hell these eels are ending up in a in a pond in the middle of the University of Melbourne
0: they do they uh, like, I think your um your investigator's report um, is quite likely correct. They they would definitely be able to travel up those subterranean stormwater drains and get very close to a pond like that, I reckon, and then rainy night they'd easily slither over into uh, uh, a new territory and they, they can stay there for a long time before they feel the urge. No, as you said, no one knows how long uh, before they feel the urge to return to their... Island home, their ocean, um, uh, their re- breeding, breeding grounds. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: so a very, uh, and they, it is. It does weave together your alma mater and um, uh, the indigenous Wurundjeri people of uh, of Melbourne and their uh, their traditional feeding habits and the trading with the the uh, Kulin nation to the north. So, yeah, I reckon that's an excellent story.
1: And it's a positive one I think it's a positive one well let's jump into we we were going to do a re, film review this week mate. we'll leave it to next week because we uh, we've been waffling talking or talking <laughs> I going to say something else uh, and we'll jump into our main topic which is one you suggest and it's a fairly quick hopefully um, punchy one and yeah it's a fascinating one so I'm glad you pulled this one up um, and that's well it's problems with the femoral pores of bearded dragons, isn't it? So I think you need to first talk about what are femoral pores for those people who don't see bearded dragons in practice and what do they do and where are they located?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, this is one of those topics that I really look forward to because you and I have completely not prepared at all um, and and often with these sort of... Uh, These topics that we regularly see but might not necessarily have uh, a whole lot of literature behind them, I almost always learn something new when I listen to you, so I'm very keen to hear what you have to say. Um, Femoral pores. Femoral pores are the openings to gland-like structures um, that are located in the cutaneous tissue um, on the ventrochordal aspect of uh, the thighs of um, agamid and iguanid lizards, and particularly the the uh, species that we see here in Australia, most commonly, of course, are the Central Australian or inlanded bearded dragons, Pogona Um Yes, so, so
1: so hence the name femoral, as in femur. Exactly. So, um, so you flip them over, and for adult adult male. Bearded dragons, and you can tell me about femoral pores in the females in a sec. Um, they're very, very prominent in those boys, those adult, mature boys, aren't they? And I will put a, I'll put a picture up of mature male bearded dragon femoral pores for the show notes for this if you want to go to vetgurus.com um, and have a look at that. Sorry, Mark, to interrupt you. No, no. interrupt I, you like again. I said, I'm,
0: I'm, particularly with these sorts of topics, I'm desperately keen to hear what you've got to say. That You were talking about the – so I think there are – there's a continuous row that go on the thigh, both legs, and there's also a few that uh, just in, sit in front of the, um, of the cloaca and they're often referred to as pre-anal pores, but, um, you know, they're all pretty much the same structure. They're assumed um, to, and it's hardly surprising that they differ between the sexes because they're assumed to play a role in um, the... Their deposition and then slow release, maybe of pheromones. Um, no one really knows what those pheromones are. I've got, I've got a couple of things to tell you about wild observations, observation of wild lizards. Um, excellent. <laughs> um, but um, they're assumed to, you know, something about territoriality or um, uh, their role in. Uh, Reproduction um, as a uh, substrate for pheromone release is uh, is the same. Do you think
1: they do you think now this is me off the cuff here, Mark?
0: (laughs) These are the bits I I love.
1: Do you think they they increase in size during mating season and decrease like um, during the rest of the year? It's uh, I'm just thinking as you're talking about that. No, I don't think
0: they do. I'm pretty sure all the 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 uh, wild lizards I've seen, they've all been pretty much the same size. depending Mature sort of size, yep. yeah. Um, and the, as you mentioned before, the males are between four and eight times the size of the, the females. They're obviously releasing a lot more of whatever's in them out um, than the females are, that's for sure.
1: So they're releasing something that we think may be associated
0: well I'll tell you what I, I'm always happy you know there's a whole bunch of Marx theories out there and and some of them you know even veer very close to the truth, truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, this tell one my theory you... my theory here is that um, is that the because the, the analyses that have been done the um, the, the uh, examination of the substance just reveals a mixture of lipids. Um, interspersed with keratin. So, I would say there's no doubt that these pores, like most of the, you know, the the other skin, has some keratinized aspect which gets shed regularly as the lizard goes through ecdysis. And I think the main structural thing um, are the the fats that um, that uh, um, uh, provide the substrate for various chemicals. And I definitely see in the wild observations, in the observation of wild animals, particularly males, um, they will move around and wipe their effectively wipe their butt end on things, uh, particularly high things, high rocks or perches, that sort of thing. And, and I don't think it has much to do directly with reproduction. I don't think it's, you know, letting females know that the male's there. I think it's a purely territorial thing. Um, I think the the um, the oily substrate contains pheromones which are tasted by other lizards and those lizards know to move off that particular territory because there's a large male who's um, who's going to beat them up if he finds them there interestingly enough I think that um, that uh, the substance in the, the gland in within the gland behind the opening, behind the pore, um, it changes character from very uh, um, volatile, very um, uh, uh, liquid, to reasonably hard and waxy, depending on a whole bunch of um, of factors. And I think the longer that the stuff sits in there, the waxier it gets, the more volatile components of the lipids within um, uh Um, you know, blow off, evaporate, as volatile things do, leaving a residue that's much more um, hard, that's waxier. And that that combination of factors, the dietary intake of fats, the exercise of the lizard, how much lizard moves around its territory and deposits and expresses the fat, um, and the time that that stuff spends in there, predisposes a number of captive lizards to um, slowed release and impaction with that much waxier, heavier material which dilates the glands which produce the um, secretions and therein starts a cycle of problem. Are you with me, Brendan?
1: I'm with you. I'm trying to digest that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was... uh (laughs)
0: That was so very- I so I don't think they I don't think they become there's a there's talk about impaction um, yes. I don't think they're impacted as much as just filling up with that hard residual wax um, rather than the normally more flexible easily wiped off um, uh, mixture of lipids that would normally be in there. so yeah. so they look like giant blackheads Brendan.
1: So they get pimples, is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. But So, yeah, I think I agree with you in, well, basically everything, <laughs> sure, in that there's almost, yeah, they're like a marking sort of territorial type um, thing. Um, what, and just looking at a couple of, the, I'll just do another little literature search there as you were chatting as well to try and see if there's any extra papers that I could find. And one was, one was chatting about how um, that, <clears throat> different species not only have um, different numbers um, but it, um, of the femoral pores, but it potentially also relates to the habitat of the species. So, um, and I think um, one of them was talking about how shrub climbing species tend to have fewer femoral pores and species that inhabit sort of sandy and rocky substrates tend to have lots more femoral pores, suggesting that the role of the environment on the evolution of the chemical signalling apparatus in in lizards with them. So um, you know they might need more femoral pores to spit out more of the femoro- f- pheromones if they need to sort of deposit it in areas in in, in locations um, different types of substrates. If if um, if you get my gist, um, so Makes- I agree with you totally um, with that. Um, so my and go on, you go first. Yes go and and you know I think the seminal paper um, is a seasonal variation of lipids in femoral gland secretions of the male green iguana uh, <laughs> from the journal of chemical ecology um, and it lists all those steroid um, steroids and the cholesterols and all those sort of um Sterols that are and lipids that are involved in the femoral glands, and they analysed them and those deposits there um, during. And they they talked about. Um, they did mention, Martin. This is a one comment that I like to say about this abstract: is um, more lipids were recovered from the femoral gland secretions obtained during the breeding than the non-breeding months, indicating that secretions deposits may be more detectable during the mating season. Um, so, even though you mentioned, and I, I agree with you totally, in that I haven't seen any obvious increase in the size of these pores during different different times, that that maybe maybe some of them are, um, maybe some of them are spitting out more. Well, it's it's entirely possible
0: because uh, the big part of the the uh, glandular structure is beneath the surface and yes. um, so they could be bigger but I think also it's much more likely that they'll churn out more of that lipid material because they're wiping it around much more in the breeding season yes I think they're, they're
1: wiping their butt as you'd like to say smearing yeah. um, the greasy bit what I was everything. doing last week yes <laughs> so let's get on so so we've got we've got these femoral pores that are used um, we think um, in in marking and and and, and um, have potentially pheromones there and they're sitting on the underside of the, that thigh sort of area the femoral region of these animals so what can go wrong mark what's the most common problem that we see in practice with these
0: well I see lots of people come in aware about them and want me to squeeze them out, but they're actually at that point not causing much trouble for the lizard there. They're just um, bloody big and, and uh, you know, they've got a nugget of material in there. Um, I'd be really keen to probably at some point, Um, you know, on one of my patients that didn't make it, that did have these enlarged pores, um, uh, these impacted, so-called impacted pores, to um, have a look at them. Because I think, I suspect they stop producing stuff once they get a certain amount of pressure in them. Um, And I worry that the process of, um, you know, squeezing them, you know what a fan I am not of the toothpaste techniques, um, <laughs> I, I think um, squeezing them actually predisposes um, the circumstance to tiny uh, tears in the um, the wall of those structures, and and that trauma and the wax that uh, that that gets squeezed into the tissue um, triggers a uh, um, sometimes quite a serious. Uh, infectious reaction in that area so so I think it's you have to be very careful about the way you treat them once they are impacted and I worry that the dilated glands um, might be permanently damaged in some of these ones that have those really really huge uh, impacted so-called impacted femoral pores
1: yeah well I'm, uh, again I agree in that I I, I I'd be doing a clinical examination on a Beta Dragon and I, as part of that general clinical exam, well, any of these arguments, and flip flip the animal over, look at those femoral pores, and a lot of the time, I must admit, the clients don't even realise that they have them there, do they? Um, and that, then i do a little discussion about what we think they may, may be useful for or do, and... Um, even if I have one that looks potentially what they call clogged. And I I never say clogged to the clients. I just say they're enlarged. Um, And I do nothing like you. I do nothing because if you look on the – Doctor Google, you 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 do a search for you know clogged bearded dragon paws or, or pop in bearded dragon paws your your ephemeral paws you will see lots of little articles about how to squeeze them or, or pop them so it's like squeezing a zit or a pimple like you mentioned um, and yeah I tend to leave it alone but um, I certainly and I'm sure you will too and that's the thing we should get onto as well um, next is is ones that. That has that has gone to that next step, and there has been something going wrong with it, and it either has been popped and and um, when it shouldn't have, or it has um, um, not settled back down again, and it has become infected. So we have a, a bearded dragon with a whole whole series of, or, or even just one massive femoral pore that's all ulcerated and, and massively abscessed and infected, and, and they're the ones that I'd like to, I'd be interested in your thoughts on how you deal with those ones there because they can look pretty nasty can't they
0: they they can look pretty nasty because they are pretty nasty brendan and i think um uh, i've had no success with uh conservative or topical treatment with those i cut them out i just um it's surgical excision all the way for those troublesome ones and i think um we have had one uh that has had a a, uh, a neoplastic change in that stuff. And it's not a surprise, the damaged glandular tissue uh, under a little bit of squeezing and secondary infection, um, that additional metabolic rate could well be the trigger for um, changes that end up being neoplastic. So um, if they get to that point in my mind where they're ulcerated, I don't muck around with, you know, Creams or um, topical treatments or um, even systemic antibiotics, I chop them out.
1: Cut to the chase and hit them with the cut, yes. I must admit, I, there's a fair number of ones where I do start with the medical treatment with some of them. Um, but I aggressively sort of, um, with or without a bit of local, um, debride them and used sort of debride-in solutions as well, Mark, and not, not just like dilute iodine and that. I sometimes use those ear-type solutions. Which ones, Brendan? Um, I'm interested. Oh, I in like those. the, you know, like the, um, well, I, I don't know the generic sort of OT clean type yeah, products yeah. and that here in Australia, those sorts of ones, um, um, you know, the Tris EDTA sort of type yeah. products. Um, um, although OT clean isn't that, but yeah. Um, and and combination antibiotics with those, um, anaerobic and, you know, um, um, so putting on metronidazole as well as other, other antibiotics and um, soaks as well. And yeah, they, some of them do respond, but yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty. Some of them are systemically very unwell, aren't they? Yeah. As well, um, that they develop to septicemia, toxemia with them, so they can be a real challenge um, to 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 um, stop them from um, dying. Um, you know, um, so you know, they can be really, really nasty infections that's going on there. And I suppose the only other one that I always keep in the back of my mind with these, although I don't think I've diagnosed one, is that, um, that on the differential list, I think, like you said, the vast majority of these are, um, that where they go wrong, that process that they are infected, um, infected, um, femoral pores, um, um that. The obvious next one I would have been saying is um, uh, neoplastic, uh, but the Third one I'd put on the list there is potentially, especially with beta dragons, is um, maybe have we got some that have a, a, a it's, it's the yellow fungus equivalent type fungal disease that's um, spread um, around that specific area. Um, but I must admit I can't recall diagnosing one that's just a yellow fungus type um, infection just of the femoral pore region. Have you?
0: I have not. But as you say, it's uh, an important one to keep on your list of differentials. And the other, so my other um, uh, take-home message from this, Brendan, is that oftentimes I think we're dealing with, you know, one of those chasing the horse after the, the you know, closing the gate after the horse has bolted, that I think um, trying to make sure these animals have a wide, varied diet with a whole bunch of fats in it and making sure that they're active and have good exposure to sunlight, making sure they have perches um, and surfaces on which to maneuver and express their um, their glands when they're younger that those express
1: their personality and express their glands mark as we all That's what they do. Need to do yes <laughs> and as usual it gets back to yeah the prevention is getting back to the basics and and husbandry as you as you're exactly saying there it, it's making sure that the animals on a good wicket as far as its um, diet and also very clean um, enclosure and and routine um, disinfection of the enclosure. enclosure. So we're not allowing things building up that shouldn't be and it's allowing to... It's not getting fat. Yeah, that's a very important one there, Mark, isn't it? Yeah, Um, and it's able to also shed properly um, because I think some of them are tied in with an abnormal yeah. um w- with dissectiasis, so an abnormal shed. Um, so it's it's making the animal, looking at the animal as a whole and, and saying, is this animal being looked after well, both diet, husbandry, heating, lighting, cleaning, all the usual things that we harp on about every episode and if that's not... Ideal, then, yeah, it's one of the potential factors that, that results in these abnormal um, femoral glands that need squeezing, Mark, <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think you're spot on there uh, with that as well. Um, any any other sort of pearls of wisdom you have with femoral pore issues in beta dragons and specifically, Mark?
0: Oh, at the end, I, I was interested in your ear, uh, ear um, cleansing flushing agents, um, I reckon there are some times where they're in between, I reckon they get to a size where they dilate the glands and they're going to cause problems of management for a long time. But I do think there's some that are starting to, the waxy stuff in them is starting to dry out and it's difficult to get out. And I think before you go pinching them and squeezing them like zits, it's good to give them a gentle rub with one of those um, you know, one of the the um, Ear cleaners that does have a tendency to... It contains one of the lighter oils um, that... Um, that serumolytic exactly, something like that. Um, I yes. think that um, that whole process is likely to um, soften up the material in there and possibly allow the lizards to more naturally get it out Um but once they're big and hard and, you know, 10 times the normal size and the gland is dilated, then um, you are in a difficult spot trying to get those ones to behave anything what's, like
1: what's that. what's your tip for those ones where it's such a mess there that you do take it to surgery and it's such a vast area that's involved there? Um, how the hell do you close over that wound? It can be really hard.
0: They can be very, very difficult. And we've had um, some that we've been fortunate that it hasn't been, you know, it's been extensive, but not well beyond the limits of the line of the femoral pores. Uh, but we've had a couple that we've had to, uh, that, you know, I've been over enthusiastic to start with cut all the infected material out and then discovered that I can't close it. And they don't lend themselves to, you know, axial pattern flap uh, um, skin grafts. Um, And we have had a couple that we've had to get to heal by second intention and they take a lot longer than our mammalian uh, patients, but they can do it, Brendan.
1: Yes. Under your tutelage, they certainly can, I think, Mark, without a doubt. Yes, it's a fascinating um, particular issue, isn't it, the femoral pore. Um I'd be very interested to hear from our listeners, especially overseas um, in the countries where they see a lot of bearded dragons like the USA and Europe, um, whether they see many femoral pore issues and blockages and what their technique of treat in them, whether it's medical or surgical or a combination of both. So vetgurus at gmail.com, it will be great to hear from you. Um, You might have a completely different approach to the problem that um, can teach us a few things and and we can all all sleep at night, Mark, being able to treat those difficult femoral pore abscesses with them.
0: We're always keen to learn, Uh, Brendan.
1: Absolutely. And I think with that, Mr. Outro is here and we will talk to you all next week
0: thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or
1: just say hi